I just want to jump in to begin with, and, and I want to start with the core value. You know, we've been going through our family values, our values that we share as a church, and I want to, let's just jump into the first one, and here it is. Let's put it up on the screen. It says, an effective church needs to be both culturally relevant and doctrinally pure. Let me repeat that again. An effective church needs to be both culturally relevant and doctrinally pure. In other words, there are some things that ought not change. There are truths that, that we, are, we build on that are foundational for us, that are unshakable for us, that are unchangeable for us. They are solid and sure. However, these truths need to be communicated in a way that people can actually understand them. We need to be able to share these truths, and sometimes that means building bridges into people's lives so that they have ears to be able to hear. We don't want to be in our bubble. We have too many people that live in bubbles. We've got people in political bubbles, and all they can hear is what everyone who thinks exactly like them is saying. That's all they can hear, and nothing else makes sense. We certainly don't want that to happen with the gospel of Jesus Christ. We don't want that to happen with the truth of God's word. We want to be able to, without changing it, without adjusting it, without compromising it, we want to be able to communicate it in a way that people can actually hear it. And so to help us with that, I want us to to come to God's word this morning. And, and um, we're, we're going to look together at 1 Corinthians chapter 9. If you've got your Bibles, I'll encourage you to go ahead and open there. We're going to look at a few verses, verses 19 to 23. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 19 to 23. If you've got your Bibles, I want you to read with me. Uh, we're going to put the words up here on the screen. As a matter of fact, I'd like you to read with me. Come on. You, you've got this, 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 19, which says, Eleutheros, gar on ek panton, pasen emauton, edulose, henatos pleonas, cordoso. That's what it says. That blessed your heart, didn't it? I mean, that thrilled your soul. You're thinking, man, I needed that word. That was just for me today. Now, here's what I want you to know. This came out of the Greek New Testament. That is 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 19. I just read it to you. I may have massacred it, but I read it to you. But that's what it says. But if I just read that and read the entire thing, which I could struggle through and give it to you, okay? It takes me a little while. It's it's not an easy thing to read because I'm thinking while I'm speaking, which as a pastor, I never do. Um, I could read that to you, but you would walk away going, he may know it and it may be true, but that didn't help me at all. And that's kind of the point of today's message. Truth is true whether we understand it or not, but it's a whole lot better if that true truth is understandable. And it is imperative for the church of Jesus Christ that we make it understandable. 
to a world, that we not be, you know, just content to hear it ourselves and to be blessed ourselves. And so let's go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 9, and I'll begin reading at verse 19 and go through verse 23, this time a little more understandable. The apostle Paul writes, though I am free and belong to no one, I've made myself, made myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. To the Jews, I became like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, so as to win those under the law. To those not having the law, I became like one not having the law, though I am not free from God's law, but am under Christ's law, so as to win those not having the law. To the weak, I became weak to win the weak. I have become all things to all people so that by all possible means I might save some. I do all this for the sake of the gospel that I might share in his blessings. Was that a little more helpful for you? That's a powerful word. Even though God's truth and the mission of God's church, neither of those change. Even so, you and I must take the truth of God and the mission of God seriously enough that we are willing to be innovative and flexible in our communicating of it. In other words, to do what it takes to help people to hear and respond to the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is not an option for us. That is a mandate for us. That is our calling. We do not compromise our message. But we are obliged to change our methods in an ever-changing world. We don't compromise the message. The message is the same from generation to generation to generation to generation. But it doesn't help if we're communicating it in Koine Greek. It doesn't help us if we're communicating it in a context that people cannot understand. It is our responsibility, church, to build the bridges to find the ways to communicate this message so that people can hear it and respond to it. To do so, it's important for us to know what is changeless and what is changeable. What is changeless and what is changeable. We need to be like the men of Issachar. You read about them, who are they? Do they live down the street? Who are we talking about? The men of Issachar, we find them in 1 Chronicles chapter 12, verse 32, where it says of the men of Issachar that they were men who understood their times and how to respond to them. That's who we ought to be. We ought to be men and women who understand our times, and we know what to do in the times in which we live. Many of you have been through our Beginning with Grace class. That's our membership class and our inquirers class. And if you've been through it, then one of the things that we share in that, in that class, that time together, is we share our basic beliefs, what we call essentials, those things that, 
that every believer ought to be able to agree on, especially if they're going to unite with a church. Like, you know, we, we talk about who God is, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We talk about who Jesus is. We talk about what the, what the Bible is. We talk about what salvation means. We talk about the eternal destinies of both those who believe in Jesus and those who don't. We talk about what the church is to be. We talk about all those essentials. They're not options. They're, they're not, you know, give or take kind of things. They're not peripheral issues. Those are the core. Those are the center. And we don't compromise. And we don't change that. And we're not flexible in that. Our voice as a church needs to be crystal clear when we tell the world that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. We need to be crystal clear when we tell the world, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And all are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that came through Jesus Christ. We need to be crystal clear when we repeat what Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life, and no one, no one, no one comes to the Father except through me. We need to be crystal clear when we say, as Peter did, that Jesus is a stone that you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there's no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. Folks, that is central to our message. That is core to our message. We will not, not as long as I'm pastor here, we will not compromise on this kind of truth. These are unchanging truths. You and I are privileged to believe those truths. And you and I have been given the responsibility to share those truths. In order to do it effectively, you and I need to adopt a whatever-it-takes attitude. Without compromising the truth, apart from that, whatever else it takes to get this to a lost world, we need to be willing to do and that's, that's going to require the dreaded C word, change. You know, we live in an ever-changing world, don't we? Everything around us is changing, and it's, it is changing at rapid pace. It was only a, listen, it was only a few years ago that cell phone technology was, was nothing. It was, you had to carry this big old honking bag in your car, a bag phone, and, and, or, your, it was, or it was fixed in your car. Listen, I'm old enough to remember that the most, the most exciting form of communication was a CB radio. Some, you know what I'm talking about. How many of you had a handle? There you go. That's cool. And some of you are going, a handle? Where was that? Like on the side of your head, like a coffee mug? What? What's a handle? Well, look it up. And now, listen, we don't even have a home phone anymore. We, all we have is a cell phone. And that cell phone has more computing power by far than it took for NASA to land the first man on the moon and bring him home. 
Listen, things are changing at a rapid, rapid pace. And all of it's not good. There was a time where you could sit there at at, at 8 o'clock with your family in front of the TV and actually watch a TV show without having to shut it off and explain what just happened. Or, you know, put your child in, in, you know, counseling because of what they just saw or witnessed. Not all of it's good. But the fact is, this is a changing world. And people are changing in this world in which we live. And the older I get, can I make a confession? The less I like change. I'm serious. I had to sleep in, you know, I went to, uh, to, to we went up to uh, North Carolina for a funeral. I had to go to Savannah for uh, the George Baptist Convention. And uh, I slept in beds. I, I, let me tell you, I'm so glad to get back in my bed. I'm so glad to sit in my chair. I'm so, you know, it, it's, just, it's just comfortable. And when we change things, it's not comfortable. Mark Twain said that the only person who likes change is a wet baby. We just, I mean, the older we get, the less we like it. We like sameness. And unfortunately, the church has adopted sameness and said, this is what we need to do. I'm comfortable with this. Don't change this. If you change this, it may make me uncomfortable. But we're not wet babies. Somehow we have to find a way to embrace change. But listen, it needs to be changed for a reason. And a good reason. We don't change for the sake of change. We change for a reason. And Paul helped us to understand what that reason was. And when we change, it helps us to build bridges. And we, we initially think about this, we're thinking about um, you know, missions. Yes, there are unreached people groups out there. We need to find a way to get missionaries, to get the gospel across this bridge. We need to build this bridge and to bring it into the lives of unreached people groups in India or Africa or South America or Asia who've never heard of Jesus. And that is certainly one way to do it. But I got to tell you, a bridge that we need to build is also to the millennials down at Starbucks. Because I can tell you, if you're my age, we don't think alike. No more. And as you get, as they get younger in age, the disparity grows even more. And I'm telling you, it's cross-cultural missions. And if you want some practice in it, I promise you Caleb would be more than happy to give you some practice in cross-cultural missions if you'd like to help with our teenagers or our kids. It might be really good practice on how to build bridges and how to take the truth that you know and to break it down into a way that children can understand, that teenagers can understand. Do you know with every passing generation, our nation gets less and less Christian? If you didn't know that, where have you been? It's become patently obvious. The second largest religious group, anybody want to take a guess as what the second largest religious group is in the United States now? Somebody said Islam. Someone said atheist. Here's the answer. Nuns. Not, Not Roman Catholic nuns. 
Not with the, you know, the, the head thing and the black. And, no, no, not that. Nuns, N-O-N-E-S. Who are nuns? Nuns are atheists, agnostics, and those for whom religion and God aren't even a thought in their day. And here's what's happened. With, every, there, with the builder generation, that which is called the greatest generation, with that, there was probably 65% of people who identified themselves as, as Christians, not just, I believe, in God, but literally as Christians, who, who were active Christians, who were churched, you know, in that sense. They, they were part of a local body of believers. They identified in that way as Christians. Probably 65%, maybe even more. It only took a generation to get to the boomers where that flip-flopped. And it went from 65 to 35. And with every passing generation, that number's gone down and down and down. And we're hearing a lot about millennials because millennials are a huge generation and they're going to, they will affect marketing for years to come. But here's the thing. Once you get down to a point where there are 95% of people who are unchurched, and that's what we're looking at with the generation just above the millennials, then no longer are children being raised in homes where now I lay me down to sleep Pray the Lord my soul to keep is thought about at bedtime. No longer when they sit down for dinner does a little child start singing, God our Father, God our Father. Because they're not thinking about it. It's not it's not in their radar screen. It's, it's not in their realm of, of conception. It's not that they are godless because they're opposed to God. They just don't care. There is genuine spiritual apathy. And they might even tell you that they themselves are spiritual, but this spirituality has no connection with God, and it certainly doesn't have a connection with God's church that's why i said you and i have to get, we've got to get out of the bubble we've got to get beyond the thinking that everybody thinks just like we do because they don't and when we get frustrated because and listen i do this when we have we have some young families in the church and they came forward they made a commitment to christ and then you don't see them anymore and you may call them and they go well you know we, we ought to come back but i got to tell you after you hang up they don't think another thing about it It's just not their thing. It's just not important. And so the challenge for us is, how do we who know this truth, who embrace this truth, who live this truth, how do we then share this truth with the generations that are coming behind us? We can complain, and some of us do. We can moan and groan, and some of us do. We can point fingers. We can say, oh, it's the government. Oh, it's the schools. Oh, it's uh, the liberal theology. Oh, it's, it's our youth pastor. Not our youth pastor, but, you know, we can point fingers, and we can blame all we want to. But we had better start taking seriously our call to share the good news of Jesus Christ with everybody not just the people who think like us 
and to do whatever it takes to reach young and old. We're not le- hey, listen, we're not leaving out old. Please don't leave out old. I'm rapidly approaching that. <laughs> young and old, the, the entire disparity, black, white, Latino, Asian, rich, poor, middle class, those with tattoos and piercings, and those without tattoos and piercings. Can I ask you a question? Who gets left out? Who doesn't deserve the gospel? Who who doesn't deserve an opportunity to hear the good news of Jesus Christ? Who doesn't deserve that? Listen, it says God so loved the world. And I'm telling you, that includes people who are tatted from head to toe. That includes people who who got more holes in their body than God originally gave them. That includes everybody. Even those who are diametrically opposed to the faith. God's heart beats for them. And God wants to do a heart transplant. He wants to give us his heart. So that when we see people who are unlike us, who don't think like us, our first reaction isn't to look away, to close the door, to run away. But our first reaction is, God loves them. And God, help me to love them too. Help me to have compassion. Show me how I can build a bridge into their lives we've got a fall example of paul what did paul say paul said though i am free and belong to no one i've made myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible paul says listen i'm a christian i already i already have my reservation i'm i'm already booked when the time comes and the the angel of death swoops in i'm going home I've got it. I've covered. And I don't owe anybody anything. And yet I'm choosing. I'm making a choice to serve others. I'm making a choice to become a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. I will put aside what I prefer, he says. I will put aside what makes me comfortable, he says. Because I have one overriding mission in life. To win as many as possible. In those short verses that we read, those four verses, he says, he uses the term win five times. He's serious about this. He uses the term win five times. I'll do whatever it takes. If I need to become like a Jew, let me become like a Jew. I'll live, by, I'll live under that law for, for a little while. I, I don't have to because I'm freed from that. But I will go and I will live under their system for a time in order to communicate the gospel of Jesus Christ so that I can win some. And for those over here, these Gentiles who are, who are, who are living outside the, the Jewish law, who are eating pork chops and barbecue and bacon, I'll go and I will live like them for a time because I want to win some of them. 
And even though spiritually I'm strong and I have a, and a standing in Christ and I have no doubt about my eternal security, I will go where the weak ones are and I will live like one of the weak in order to win some. That's his mission. And that's got to become our mission. It's got to become our passion. Next year, the staff and the elders have come together and we've said among our six strategies that we have in our strategic document, among our six strategies, we're elevating three next year to be our priorities among those strategies. And those three are missions, evangelism, and prayer. Missions, evangelism, and prayer. In other words... We're moving, we believe that God has called us next year to really put some attention, some time, some resources, some energy into moving us in these three directions, missions, evangelism, and and prayer. But to do that, listen, here's what's going to happen. I'm going to warn you up front. You are going to be challenged to move outside your comfort zone and into the lives of people who may not think like you, who may not live like you, who may not believe like you. You're going to be asked to get, to get out of the comfort zone, to, to abandon lazy boy Christianity in order to put your boots on the ground in the lives of people who need you. You're going to be asked to make sacrifices for the cause of Christ. But you also will have the privilege, if we do this together, you will have the privilege of seeing men and women and boys and girls whose lives are changed because they connected with Christ and Christ's people. Here's what I want. Have you got your, your notes? Could you take those out for just a minute? Take them out. I know some of you are going, I don't take notes. I, I don't want you to take notes here, but I, I, I want you to write something down. And this is a prayer, and I want to ask you to start praying this prayer. I've been praying this prayer in there for 30 days, and I want to keep praying this prayer every day until God makes it real in my life. It's not going to be up on the screen, so I need you to listen to me, okay? Listen to me, and I want you to write down this prayer. I'll say it twice, and I'll say it slowly. Here's the prayer, and the prayer is, God, I don't ask for much. I only ask for a heart for the lost. Let me repeat that. God, I don't ask for much. I only ask for a heart for the lost. Now, I got to tell you, God begins to do some things in your life when you begin to pray a prayer like that over and over and over and over and over and over again. You've just invited God to change the passion of your life. Because most of the time our prayer is, God, I do ask for a lot. And maybe on the bottom of the list, lost people are down there. But this prayer, would you pray this with me through, at least, at, least, at least take it out through Christmas. Take it out through the end of this year. Would you pray this prayer with me? 
asking God to give you a heart for the lost. Because once you do, he also gives you eyes for the lost. And you begin to see people that you have previously overlooked. And he also gives you ears for the lost. That you begin to hear the heart cry of people who are desperate apart from knowing him. If God gives you a heart for the lost, if God gives us a heart for the lost, then fulfilling our mission and vision, we'll build whatever bridge it takes to build. We'll do whatever it takes in order to reach the lost with the good news of Jesus Christ. It will mean change, but here, let me give you some, some real simple points here, and these are the ones that have the blanks. The first point is this. We don't need to fear change. We don't need to fear change. Change is inevitable. We need to appreciate the past. We need to honor the past. We need to build on the past, but we can't live there. We have to get to a point where we say, my personal comfort will not override my divine mission. Secondly, we do not need to embrace change for the sake of change. I mentioned this just a little earlier, but here's what. I don't want Grace Fellowship to become known as a cutting-edge church. Do you know what I want Grace Fellowship to be known as? I want Grace Fellowship to be known not as the hippest and coolest church in town, but as the most passionate and faithful church in town. That's what I want us to be known for. The third thing is this. Our methodology should be grounded in sound theology. We're not just going to do stuff because it's cool. If it can't be grounded in the truth of God's word, then we don't need to do it. And then fourth, we need to embrace change for the sake of lost souls. Paul says in order that I might win some, 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 in order that I might win some. And it just keeps getting repeated over and over and over and over and over again. Paul says, I'll do whatever it takes in order that I might win some. Are lost souls that important to you? Are you willing to pray that they become that important to you. As we wrap it up, I've got three questions I want to lay out before you. These aren't on your sheet. But every one of us in here needs to ask and answer one of these three questions. So let me share them with you. The first question is this. Am I willing to adopt a whatever-it-takes attitude to get God's truth into the hearts of people? For some of you, that's your question this morning. Am I personally willing to do whatever it takes to get God's truth into the hearts of people? Secondly, is God calling me, you fill in the blank with your name, is God calling me to unite with this local church to become part of something bigger than myself? Is God calling me to connect here to be part of something he's doing that's way bigger than me. The third question is this. Am I willing to surrender self to Jesus and accept him as my Lord and Savior? For some of you, that's where you need to begin. You've never taken that step. 
not that you've been a bad person. It's not that you've been an awful person. It's not that you don't even love God because you do. It's just that you've never felt the conviction of the Holy Spirit that has driven you to the throne of God in confession and repentance and with a desire to be saved. And I'm here to tell you this morning that that's available for you. Would you pray with me? Lord God, we do thank you for this word. It is true and it is powerful. It is alive. It is active. And I simply ask, Lord, that whatever you've laid on hearts, that we would be willing to respond. If what we need, Lord, is to just come before you and admit that we've been far more concerned about me than mission, that we've never never embraced a whatever-it-takes attitude to share Christ, share God's love, share God's truth. But today, Lord, we want to come and just say we're sorry that we have put something, anything ahead of what you've called us to do. Lord, then maybe this needs to be an altar of confession and repentance and renewal for us today. Lord, if there are those who kind of toy with the idea of being part of a local church but have never fully jumped in, have never said, I'm here to unite, to be part of something bigger than me, my passions, my desires, my likes, and I'm ready today, I, I need to connect, then Lord, would you bring them? And if there are those who need to come and acknowledge Jesus as Savior, to embrace Him as Lord of their lives and to begin to live and walk with Him, then Lord, if you're calling them, if your spirit's tugging on them, then bring them. Father God, as this last song plays and as we sing, we ask, Lord, that you would draw those who need to respond to take those tentative steps and to say yes to you. For this is our prayer in Jesus' name.